Welcome to Consume for Good. I'm Billy. And I'm Emily. And we're your everyday couple working our way through a plant-based keto lifestyle. This week we have a fun topic, uh, but before we get started, we would like to say if you are planning on changing your diet or thinking about going down this route, uh, it is a good idea to go see an expert to make sure this is the right journey for you. With that, let's get started. Yeah, this week I've been watching the news quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you've been watching the news as well, um, in the EU, they have been talking through a case and deciding on it of whether vegetarian versions of food should be able to use the meat-based product name. So what that means really is should veggie burgers be able to use the word burger mm -hmm. or is that limited to meat-only options? Okay. Um, this case, I think, has been a long time coming in the EU. It's The decision happened this week, so we can talk about that further down. It's one where... I mean, same as in the U U.S., I think there's that contention between mm -hmm. the meat-free industry and the meat industry, mm -hmm. right? Well, and you had that case in California where it was the dairy products and using, labeling cheese and dairy alternatives. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that this is really kind of a, a new thing that is going to keep coming up as we go, as we start defining, you know, what pertains to a specific word, because obviously... You know, some industries don't want alternatives within their industry because of, you know, at least in the U.S., like the lobbying power of that industry. So mm -hmm. it will be kind of a, a, an interesting thing to be watching. And this is a, definitely kind of a, an interesting case in, in the least. Yeah. I think for more detail on the case, really the claim of, like you said, from the animal agriculture lobbying industry um, is their claim is... Words like burger or sausage, that's usually another one that comes up, could lead to people accidentally buying the vegetarian versions. Um, I know, in, especially in the EU, there's a lot of regulation around packaging. Mm -hmm. Your packaging has to be distinct enough so someone can't pick up your product assuming they're buying another brand. Like each brand has to have their individuals. You can't have knockoffs that look close, but not quite because of that worry of buying the wrong one, assuming you've bought a specific brand. So the argument is the use of the word burger, the use of word sausages, and even packaging it to look like burgers um, and sausages, that people might pick it up meaning to buy 100% meat instead. Um, maybe the animal agriculture industry has suggested a few alternatives, and this is the one that always gets me reading these articles, is like, instead of vegetarian sausages, maybe they should be called vegan or vegetarian cylinders. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. Or, um, let's see, they have lots of different ones, generally shape-based, but they also have like tofu patties or protein tubes, protein patties, anything to sort of imply that it's not 100% meat. Mm -hmm. So with that, we'll kind of go in a bit more, the backstory and, and some of the other things, but what do you think they should decide? And I can tell you what the case did, did actually decide, but what do you think? Would, do I think that they decided? No, what do you think? Should they be allowed to be called veggie burgers? Uh, I think that they should. I mean, like, you know, a burger is a shape that you put something in. It's not, you know, it's not specific to, like, chicken or beef or, you know, lamb or any of the. It's not specific to an animal, like, right? There's not a, a burger section of a cow. Mm -hmm. So I think that it... I don't see what the big issue is. I can mm -hmm. understand the like confusion of 
the type of burgers that it are it, it is right mm-hmm. and maybe there maybe needs to be more labeling of this is you know maybe making i don't know vegan stand out a little bit more so people don't get duped into buying something <laughs> different right I, I think that that's kind of a it's an odd argument to start with right you know read the read the label nobody's trying to coerce you into buying vegan versus meat right it's just yeah. another package on the shelf so i would say you know i think that it's it's kind of an interesting thing that that's what they're going after instead of like trying to regulate like meat alternative mm-hmm. which is i think what we see a lot more in the u.s um, when it comes to what's going on that's true and i think in the u.s i always think of brands like light life i think they're really ones that i would i would say maybe is given the meat industry sort of cause because they do package it the very same but even on their packaging it says like 100 percent plants and mm-hmm. meat alternative and all of that so i i agree and i think when you're buying meat meat usually doesn't have like a brand name on it right if you're mm-hmm. buying burgers at the supermarket usually it's been ground by the supermarket so it's just got a per pound price mm-hmm. and usually with if you're like, let's say beef, it has like a fat to protein ratio, right? Yeah. It's like that. It's not as if the plant-based versions have those sort of packaging. Mm-hmm. They don't have the per pound cost. They don't have the, um, you know, mimicking those sort of. And they're generally labels. nowhere near. I mean, like I don't in the EU, I don't know how their grocery stores are set up, but here, I mean, like you have to, you are in the salad section getting your vegan stuff versus in the meat department. You know, you're not finding. In some stores, maybe now, as in maybe like the freezer section, I can see how you might be seeing those. But I mean, like the grocery stores that we go to, the vegan section or the, the vegetarian section is very far away from the meat section. For sure. And I think that's a, a good point as well of like, you know, European supermarkets, from my experience, have a lot more fresh meat. So they're more likely to have a butcher there who you would ask for like, oh, can I have a pound of whatever? Can I have a pound of this? So even that... It's not as if they're slipping in, because it's unsanitary, um, you know, vegan patties in between meat, fresh meat that's been mm-hmm. labeled and put out. I think that's totally right. I think when you're in the frozen section, you have to be a bit more careful. But even still, usually it's like, <laughs> I think for us, it's the vegetarian options are usually next to the veggies, not the meat. Mm-hmm. Or usually they're like clumped in with dessert as like novelty, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it is hard to like wander in and just pick it up now with that said lots of people are busy i'm sure every now and then someone does but as soon as you read the label it's very clear so Mm -hmm. even if you pick it off the shelf you're able to see that it's the wrong thing yeah and i don't i think just for us you know we don't walk into the grocery store perusing you know we're not you know we know what we're going for we know what brands work within our diet and so Mm -hmm. we already have kind of a game plan Mm -hmm. so there's also that like you know if you are just grabbing things off the shelf like supermarket sweep style (laughs) i mean you still kind of have an idea of what you're looking for because you know in the u.s at least there is a lot more branding and and you know those things stick Mm -hmm. out so it's pretty easy to grab the right thing yeah no that's very true very true so i can tell you that the eu denied this claim Mm -hmm. the parliament decided this wasn't sufficient reason to ban vegetarian options using the term burger or sausages, that sort of stuff. So vegetarian options can still be called vegetarian burgers, vegetarian sausages. However, a bit of backstory of one of their other decisions is about three years ago, um, the EU banned terms like soy milk or vegan cheese. So it 
it can't be like just straight vegan cheese. However, they, they did allow things of like yogurt style, cheese style, you know, so implying that it has the same texture, it has the same look, but it's not actually cheese. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an important distinction because um, they did walk those, the comparison phrases back. They have now walked it back and banning also yogurt style, things like that for, for dairy for non-meat products. And so it's it's important to see that they have shifted the needle though still. So although the meat products are unchanged now, they did sort of walk back a decision they made three years ago about yogurt style. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to talk about why they might have done that and not the meat side. Over the last few years, consumption of meat has grown. Mm -hmm. So even though there's so many more vegetarian options, people are still eating more meat. There's still more meat products being out there on the market. There's lots of theories as to why. Um, and we won't get into that. That's something for another day. But, and maybe why they did change their mind on the yogurt style phrase is milk demand and milk products are decreasing. Mm -hmm. And although there's lots of alternative, or well, let, let's go with some stats first. So according to the United States Department of Agriculture, USDA, per capita fluid milk consumption has gone down 40% since 1975. The average American would drink 247 pounds of milk that year, whereas now it's the most recent data we had was 2018, just 146 pounds per milk. Pounds of milk sounds very odd. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure that there's some kind of weird, you know, yeah. like gallon comparison, but yeah. I think that, I mean, it makes sense. You know, I mean, going to school, like I've, you know me, I've always been against I've always been kind of against milk, yeah. and this was before even going down the the plant based vegetarian lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's really uh, to me, it's just disgusting, and and like and uh, that's why I didn't like it. But I mean, you think about in school, there's a lot of subsidies to give out free milk mm -hmm. in schools, and so you know, as a kid, you get you know kind of hooked on this is the thing and the ad campaigns i mean the the the, the big dairy lobbyists as we like to joke i mean it's a very powerful it's very powerful in in the u.s so you know i think that for that type of thing when you start seeing plummeting and these farmers generally are paying into this lobby group to get you know things that benefit them much like a union would for mm -hmm. teachers or firefighters i think that you know, now those lobby groups have to explain how they're actually being affected with that money. So I think that there's a lot of like weird things going on. So, and a lot of the, those lobbies were what get people kind of hooked on milk at, at a young age. And then you kind of just grow up thinking, well, milk is good for me. Well, I think that what we're starting to see is one, we have a rise in alternatives, mm -hmm. you know, so people that, you know, people that have allergies are now able to have mm -hmm. something that, that fits the bill. And then at the same time, we also are starting to realize and do a little bit more research into, you know, what we're eating and realizing that it may not be the best thing in the world for us to be consuming. I think there's still some research that shows cow's milk does have benefit for children growing. That's one thing that most communities, vegetarian, vegan, meat teachers, there is there are a few nutrients that really generally just come from cow's milk. And so there is some benefit still to cow's milk. There's not completely none. But I do agree, like, there is a lot of push for it to be a a large part of a child's diet and I think that's not necessarily needed and I think you make a good point about alternatives there's so many out there there's so many for various allergies or just you know I think the alternatives also are more shelf stable things like that you can get almond milk and it tastes the same as 
the fresh almond milk. <laughs> like there's no difference. Whereas I think dairy milk shelf stable versus the fresh stuff, there's there is a taste difference. Yeah. Um, so definitely there's a lot of alternatives. Um, I will say there's, I don't think alternatives are completely to blame for the decrease in milk consumption. And I was doing some reading on it and it sort of makes sense when you think about it. But one theory that I, and this is maybe again more of the EU perspective, is when I grew up, particularly Europeans looking to the US, there was a lot of concern about antibiotics used in cows mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff. And so how does that filter into milk? And I know a lot of brands are like antibiotic free and, and list specific ones and all of that. I think there's been a lot of loopholes still left in that legislation mm -hmm. of what antibiotics are allowed. And with the alternatives, it's not quite that same worry, right? Because it's not being processed by an animal that's given the antibiotics, so you don't have to quite worry about it. So I think for a lot of people growing up that are really trying to limit the other things being filtered through the milk that mm -hmm. they're not sure of, the nut alternatives or oat alternatives, all of those, you don't have that same concern. There is another big piece of, particularly in the US, why consumption and why the need for dairy might have gone down. And so our stats, just to go back, 1975 is when they gave us the comparison. So 1975 to 2018, 40% decrease, mm -hmm. right? Well, in that same sort of time, 1977, President Jimmy Carter subsidized the dairy industry with a $2 billion bill over four years, which incentivized farmers to produce a surplus of milk. Mm -hmm. So right in that same time when they're seeing these record highs of milk, that's when they started those dairy subsidies, which, I mean, we grew up knowing about them, so I didn't know that's when they started. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they, there was a huge surplus of milk, which maybe that's where some of those consumption stats come from is is it consumption milk what was it how much milk is produced right is there mm -hmm. are people really drinking 470 uh, 247 pounds of milk or is there on average enough milk for someone to drink that much mm -hmm. and so any milk that couldn't be sold was purchased by the government after the subsidy bill intended to cheese butter dehydrated milk powder all of that sort of stuff so this initial move by Jimmy Carter led to a 500 million pound stockpile of cheese sitting in warehouses across the country. And then, and then I went down another rabbit hole of reading articles because this then spurred Ronald Reagan to give away 30 million pounds of government cheese, which has quite a memory for lots of people of not being great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of SNL jokes about eating government cheese down by the river. So, <laughs> right. well, yeah. and that, again, not my history. So I, I sort of had to go down that rabbit hole to understand more. <laughs> so there is this sort of, there was an incentive to overproduce. There was an incentive for dairy farmers to really, really produce. There was money in it. The government would buy the surplus. Um, and so it was worthwhile. And so that sort of overproduction hasn't ended. As of June 2018, the stockpile of government cheese <laughs> hit an all-time high. And this was a phenomenal stat that I found. 1.39 billion pounds of surplus milk products. That's insane. Right? That's so much, so many warehouses filled with cheese. <laughs> right. I'm sure it's other things like you said, like dehydrated milk powder and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but still that is I mean, from a production standpoint, and you think about how much, how many resources are needed to produce mm -hmm. one gallon of, of, of cow's milk, you know, you think about why when we say the biggest 
the biggest benefit you can do to the environment is switching to a vegan lifestyle is this. I mean, you know, 1.39 billion pounds. Let's say that is just cheese. It takes, it's not a one pound of milk to one pound of cheese when it comes to making it, right? So if that is correct, you're probably looking at about four times the amount of milk to create that was needed to create that that initial surplus that that number so i mean that's that's crazy and that, that overproduction i mean you know wonder why the world is turning inside out right now for sure and i think when you think about how much land dairy cattle needs and when you think about the sort of process needed for cows to continually to produce milk mm-hmm. we won't go into the details it's definitely something that is a big reason we don't eat dairy but um it's worth looking into it's, it's not the best thing to be pushing cows' bodies to the limit, to be taking over all this land for them to graze, to do all of this just for a huge, huge surplus. It's not as if supermarket shelves are going bare, that people really are demanding it. You know, even just demand, mm-hmm. take away the idea of whether people need it or not, just the demand, it isn't there for that much dairy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing that, like I said, the environmental clearing all that space for cows to graze and all the, and the water production to ha- to water that land so that they can graze to then make the milk it's not it's not in our mind efficient and it's definitely not worth all of those resources to just then sit in a warehouse as stockpile dairy mm-hmm. right so with all of that kind of considered that's why i think it's important history to sort of see all of that and that's maybe why the rules around dairy stock products are being stricter mm-hmm. right yeah. is because the dairy industry is seeing a hit which is because there is less of a demand and i think as time goes on those surpluses it's not money it's not making money for farmers right they're having to produce a lot to earn enough money because people don't want mm-hmm. mass-produced milk they want to be if they're drinking dairy they want to know where it came from smaller farms all of that but that's hard to make money off of, right? Yeah. So I think that's important to know some of these decisions and why some of the phrasing might be banned is because the dairy industry is seeing a change, should we say, rather than ban. Yeah, and I can, I understand the cheese part because cheese is an actual product versus mm-hmm. regulating burgers. Like yeah. anything can be made into a burger or a patty, right? Yeah. So I get that that I, I understand that kind of argument of, you know, you can't have anything other than cheese made from milk because it's cheese. But then again, you do have like goat cheese and other cheese. So I guess maybe I the argument kind of falls down a little bit. But that does count as like a dairy product or a, a milk product yeah. um, via different animal. So I think that it's it's definitely interesting, you know, in California. Um, I never say this name right, but the Mycos cheese oh yeah the the vegan cheese company you know won a pretty big lawsuit of Mm -hmm. being able to say use the word cheese on their labeling Mm -hmm. um which you know was you know kind of a pretty contentious battle back and forth because once you can start using those things you know uh, those when you take away those buzzwords from from a marketing standpoint it really does make it harder for people you know all of a sudden you have to really kind of show benefits to your product, not just mm-hmm. it is what it is and you're going to buy it. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that landscape shifts within the grocery stores. I don't think we're going to see it out here in Georgia anytime mm-hmm. soon. I don't think, I think that there is definitely people, a movement in this area. And mm-hmm. there has been, even I think before we got here, 
but I don't think with everything that's going on, it's really a, a topic at the forefront. And we're not a big agricultural from a dairy standpoint. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't really, I don't think it'll hit Georgia as much as like California. You know, everybody's seen that the happy cow commercials, mm-hmm. right? You know, happy, happy cheese, happy cows come from California. You know, it, it's, a, it's yeah. a marketing tactic. So um, it'll be, it, it will be interesting as more alternatives come up and it becomes really a big conversation. Yeah. And I think there's sort of two things is I feel like the labeling matters less. It's more shelf space, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are putting the frozen alternatives next to the real ones, I see the argument there. But if you have a dedicated vegetarian section that's clearly labeled, there's no need to put the meat alternatives next to meat. And that, I think, is what we see at the supermarket here. We In the fresh section with all the produce, we go get all our veggies, and then there's a dedicated case of like the vegan deli meats, mm-hmm. the, um, the noodles made out of mushrooms, mm-hmm. tofu, the vegan cheeses. And so for us, we know all of these products are vegan. We can go get them. And we don't have to be double checking, is this real meat or is it not? And mm-hmm. same in the freezer section. It's always in the vegetarian section. So it's quick to pick up the items. And like you said, we know what brands work for us and what don't. So it's sort of a moot point. And I think that's what matters. If you're trying to put your product next to real meat, I can see where the argument is mm-hmm. there. I also don't think many vegetarians or vegans go looking in the real meat section for meat alternatives i think that's a wasted battle i think you are trying to somewhat trick people or or maybe have them try your product instead of me so i see why companies might want to do it i think majority of their customers they'll make a beeline for the vegetarian section yeah i think people are pretty savvy into what they want to grab and and they'll grab what they what they came in to grab so i think there's one last thing with the dairy too there's there are articles of particularly farmers in California, I think, where there's, there is that big dairy industry, right? And so the push is more production rather than quality production. A lot of farmers are switching to almond groves. So they're taking the land they used to have for cattle grazing and making almonds. Almonds do take a lot of water mm-hmm. um, to grow, but it's still less water than regular milk, dairy milk would need. Um, when you add in the grazing process of cows and all of that. And so I think you are seeing more and more farmers seeing the benefit financially to switch to some of these alternatives. And I'm interested to see how down the road, how that shifts with that supply demand um, balancing act as mm-hmm. more farmers look to alternatives for their own, you know, their own benefit to keep their farm um, more of a legacy and keep their business in, in keep their business going. Yeah. And if you're looking for, uh, kind of a comparison of like resources needed to produce specific alternative milks and real milk. The Vegan Society of the UK has a really good chart. And it's interesting because with almond milk, even though it is probably one of the most resource inten- intensive for mm-hmm. production, it is still by far way less resources needed to produce a one gallon of almond milk versus one gallon of, of cow's milk. So it's a really good read. And it's, you know, if you're really, you know, wanting to go after products that really have the lowest impact possible, uh, definitely will help you suss out that one. I think for us, some of the lower ones are a bit carbier than we, we'd like for the keto side of diet. So we do have to keep that in mind when, when picking, picking stuff, for now at least. And 
And yeah, definitely a good read. Uh, we'll link the, their website in the description if you want to check out their stuff. And once again, we, we talk about it all the time. A great resource if you're just yeah. getting into a vegan lifestyle or going down, starting down the plant-based you know, path and maybe want to shift later down the road. So Yeah. Well, with that said, that's the episode. I think it was a lot of fun kind of looking into the, the idea of how alternatives should be labeled. And it will be interesting to see where that goes in the future. I know right now the world is crazy, but I think once it calms down, we'll start to see a little bit more of this making headway and, and news, right? Because we'll be in kind of a more regular news cycle. Yeah. So uh, join us next week for another wonderful episode. We have some fun stuff planned. Uh, if you want to see any pictures we take, uh, you can find us on Instagram at Consume for Good. And if you want to read any articles that we happen to write or recipes that we like to put up every once in a while, you can find that at consumeforgood.com. And we look forward to seeing you next week. See you next week.